0: Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're doing well, staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right at it. Later on, we'll speak with Roger Mooking, the Trinidadian-born, Canadian-raised chef, restaurateur, television host, author, and award-winning recording artist. He's the host of the television series, Man, Fire, Food. He's also the host and co-creator of Everyday Exotic, Both programs aired on the Cooking Channel and Food Network Canada. He also appears on Heat Seekers with Aron Sanchez on the Food Network. Today we'll talk about a new book called Curious Sounds and how folding wontons with his father when he was just a child set him on the road to discovery in the kitchen, on television, in music and more. That's a little bit later on. First though, let's get to know Kristen Vario, director of the new Paramount Plus documentary June. The feature documentary shines an important spotlight on the history of country music and the mark the Carter and Cash families made on the genre before diving into the complex life of the legendary June Carter Cash. The five-time Grammy award-winning singer, comedian, musician, actor and author has opened for Elvis, appeared on screen with Robert Duvall and Jane Seymour, and co-wrote one of the most recognizable country songs of all time—that's "Ring of Fire." Perhaps at times overshadowed by her iconic husband Johnny Cash, she now takes center stage in the documentary *June*. Kristen Vario joined me via Zoom from her home in Los Angeles. Would you welcome June Carter Cash? June Carter June Cash. June, June Carter, Carter Cash. Cash.
1: Who is June Carter Cash? Well, she's a badass bitch. First off. I don't think I've ever really known a life any different than show business. She's one of the most talented women in country music. June's songs are based on emotion.
0: You couldn't deny her. She had this spark, the it.
1: Oh, thank you. You almost made me cry.
0: Let's set the stage a little bit for people who might not be fans of kind of old-timey country music. So how significant were the Carter family uh, in the early years of country music? Because they broke up in 1936, so we're going back quite a ways.
2: Yeah, I don't think you can overstate the importance of the Carter family. Um, And the way that it's always referred to is the first recordings that happened in Bristol, or Bristol, were the Bristol Sessions. It was 100 years ago, almost. This is coming up on the 100th year anniversary of those recordings. And it was, I think it was a time where there was a confluence that the recording equipment was portable enough. Mm -hmm. And then the Carters were there. And A.P. Carter was not just an arranger and a musician, but he was also... I think, you know, the one of the preeminent musicologists. So he went out and collected all these songs and he was they were the first ones to be able to record them. So it's all of the music. It's like the African-American music, the folk songs from Europe, the Appalachian music, you know, it all came together. And so it was just this this kind of it was a big bang. Everything came together and exploded from that point. And they were the first country music superstars.
0: It could be fair to say that without the Carter family, we might not be listening to country music in the same way that we did for most of the 20th century.
2: Yeah, it would be totally different, completely different. And everybody refers back to them, you know, and every every artist today can, can refer back to that music.
0: And it is remarkable that for a band that broke up essentially, you know, almost 100 years ago, that songs like Will the Circle Be Unbroken are still in people's repertoires. They are still songs that people know to this very day.
2: Yeah, there's something timeless and universal about all Mm -hmm. of those songs. And I think a big piece of it And I think the foundation of a lot of country music is storytelling. And so I think that that's what people can always relate to. It's those feelings and, and, and those stories are, are eternal.
0: Well, I always compare country music to punk rock because although they seem like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, and probably sonically they are, but Mm -hmm. the thing that makes great country music and the thing that makes great punk rock music is authenticity. And the audiences crave the authenticity, and I think that's what the two forms uh, have in common.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I think probably the audiences can probably smell out a faker, too, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So,
0: uh, June Carter is, of course, the subject of your film, uh, (laughs) and you've said that she is an endlessly fascinating person. What drew you to her specifically?
2: Um. Well, I mean, I think it was a great gift to me as a filmmaker because she had she was she's amazing to look at. She's an amazing entertainer. So you've got that on the surface. and there's so much footage of her because she was in front of audiences from the time she was eight, essentially, or six or eight. And um, so there's just a wealth of material there. She's totally brilliant. And then her, life story, I think there's just so much to get from it, so much to learn from it and so much that people, and then people didn't know it and also Mm -hmm. she's just orbiting in this universe of like megawatt stars and so uh, who are also country musicians who are storytellers, so everybody was a great interview, you know, and it was just I just it was it was just such an opportunity. I was I was thinking about it and it's kind of like, you know, when you see those metal detector videos online and somebody comes across like a golden Roman coin in the middle of a field and you know it doesn't happen, but it does feel like similar to that, you know.
0: You're listening to Kristen Vario on the Richard Krauss show. Her documentary June is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I was surprised to see uh what a deft comedian she was uh the footage in your film of her and her first husband Carl Smith together is really electric I mean they have uh, I mean they were in part divorced I think when we were for some of the filming of some of the footage that we see uh not that you might I don't know if people knew that they were divorced at that point or not I don't think so because it would have been such a scandal but uh they're really great together and she is just electric there's something really charismatic about her.
2: Yeah. And it's, and all of that still holds up. Like when I'm, you know, when I've watched the film with audiences, it's like she gets, she, What's her and Carlene get all the laughs. And that's like very much, you know, of a piece and and genetic, I think in a way, but it's, she's still funny and she's brilliant. And it's, you know, part of that was a natural ability. And part of that is hard work. Like she worked at all of that. There's one poem in the, in the, it's her and Johnny, it's black and white footage. And it's, you know, he asks her to say a poem and she starts sure. in this love poem, you know, and then he ends up delivering the punchline, but that was something that I found in her notebook. So that was something that she had written, you know, well so she we, see, understood the so well.
0: we see her notebooks. We see that, uh, all of this just wasn't, uh, off the top of her head. She wasn't riffing. The jokes were written down the lyrics. I mean, she was very meticulous about the work that she did, uh, which, I think the brilliance of her is that she makes it feel like it's the first time she's saying it when you see her on stage or you see her uh, performing.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think she also was brilliant at improvisation as well. So it's like all of those pieces kind of come together in those performances. So there are jokes that, you know, that are her jokes that she leans on, but she's like very quick on her feet. And you can see that when she's doing like interviews with Johnny Carson, like she's very quick to kind of put him back on his heels, you know, and it's, it's amazing, you know, it's amazing to watch.
0: Some of the older archival footage, uh, Mm -hmm. I thought was remarkable, like the stuff we just talked about with her and Carl Smith. And while so much of that would have been documented. It was shot for television, probably, and and that sort of thing. So much of that era did not survive. Uh, and so tell me where you found this, what seems to be an incredible archive of footage.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think all of that stuff came from the Opry archives. But it's all it's always... You know, there's this whole ecosystem in documentary film of archival researchers and archival producers. And we had a brilliant um Britain, our our archival producer was brilliant and is an absolute pro. And it's, you know, I came up in that world. My first jobs in film were with Rick Burns. And so mm. I just have always loved archival materials as a as a means for storytelling and filmmaking. And it's, I mean, and I think it is that 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 authenticity that you brought up before, where it's like you are seeing and touching like it's like traveling in time a little bit and it's, it's just so exciting. So, you know, some of those things um, like Alan Messer is a Nashville photographer who did all of, for a while, he was taking all of the covers of every country album. So he's a brilliant photographer and he, you know, when I was talking to Vicki Hamilton early on, she mentioned that he had been, there for the filming of press on or for the recording of press on. And he had filmed it. And like, that's the kind of thing where like alarm bells start going off in my head. And I'm like, we need that. We need that footage, you know, and this, if people haven't seen it, it's amazing. And it's just, cause I wanted June to be telling her story and for her to be on screen and hear her voice and see her as much as possible. Like that was kind of my marching orders from the beginning. So I was like, we need every photo ever taken, every <laughs> interview she ever did, every performance, you know? And so that was kind of that was kind of the way I wanted to tell the story from the beginning.
0: Why was she not a superstar? Part of it, I think, is the time, and Mm -hmm. part of it was uh, a choice. Although she, uh, or I think it was her daughter Carlene, that says that she was eaten up by ambition. She wanted to do everything, but then there were it seemed like roadblocks in her life from time to time. She
2: she was who she was. She was a star. There's something like undeniable about that. But she also existed in a time and a place. And so, you know, right before her, like her family had obviously been huge stars. And there were other like solo female artists who during the war had been huge stars. But Because of just, you know, how history unfolded, uh, Nashville ended up being the place that was the center of country music because they were the show that had gotten the biggest, they had the strongest radio signal, basically, um, which was a a more conservative place. And then it was the post-war era where women were supposed to be going back into the home. And so that, I think, was... That was this kind of valley that she fell into because after her, you know, she kind of paved the way in a lot of ways for people like Dolly and Loretta and all those people that came right after her. And she just was in this really tricky spot. And I think that that was probably a lot of it.
0: Yeah. Caught in a vacuum almost. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, And people were saying they wouldn't they wouldn't sign women at that point because they didn't think because it was women who were buying records. They didn't think women would buy other women. Which you know, I'm, you know, Taylor Swift and Beyonce obviously proved that wrong this <laughs> yep. year. But I mean, I think that that was the that was something that people believed for a long time, and they weren't giving headlining tours to women. You know, they would have they we talked about in the film the girl singer. You know, and Dolly Parton was a girl singer, and she you know she struggled to get out of out of that role as well, and that was even later than June. So it was it was a lot for one person to go up against. I think. Wow. June Carter was an incredible artist in her own right.
0: If you only know June Carter Cash, you're missing a whole lot of things. Tell me a little bit about getting uh, Carleen Carter uh, involved. You are going to make a film about her mother. Uh, there is a, a definitely, you know, as the film bears out, a story to be told there. But I'm sure that when you are related to one of the most famous names in country music, that uh, other people may have approached her at some point, and they're put a only want to talk about Johnny's drug abuse or something, you know, put a put a darker spin on the story. How did you convince her to come on board?
2: Um, I mean, I think the, the impetus for the story came from the family. And I think that um they I think that they understood that they that they want their mom's story to be told. And I think there's been enough time that's passed since her passing that they've they're in a place where they can reflect on it honestly. And from the beginning, they wanted to tell a full story. They didn't want to just do like a career highlights reel because a lot of You know what's so important about her is her strength and the fact that she like made it through all these obstacles and you know carlene i think especially well carlene and john carter both they feel you know that the carter name is important and like the reason we know about the carters is because of june and they both know that it's there that they need to carry that on now and they feel very strongly that that they are you know the carter family now and they're the next generation so they want everybody to know that She was born with one of the most famous names in country Country music. She just wanted to be a superstar. I don't know if a lot of people know that she wrote Ring of Fire.
0: She wrote Ring of Fire,
1: okay. I'm going to sing my version the way it was written in the beginning. Love is a burning thing.
0: Why do you think it is that uh, June Carter Cash is not in the Country Music Hall of Fame?
2: I don't know. I do not know, and I hope that that gets rectified soon. I mean, I think it is... Cause yeah, because they put when they put the Carter family in, it was her it was the original Carter family, which is her aunt and her mother and her uncle. Um and I don't know. Because if you look at her influence on like the entire tapestry of it, it's like, I mean, in a lot of ways, she built that building, like you know, from the, her family, through Johnny, through her own music, and through all of the people who she mentored and, and held up through through all that time. It's like, how, I don't know how many of the people who are in the Hall of Fame cannot claim some, like having touched her or having her touch their, their careers at some point. So hopefully, maybe this is the year. <laughs>
0: I love that the film uh, showcases the making of Press On. That was the album that came out in 1999. First album in decades from her. Uh, won a Grammy Award. Uh, just, you know, fantastic stuff. All ran nice late career uh, blossom to have is a fantastic thing, but there's a song called, I used to be a, I used to be somebody. And she Mm -hmm. says, I used to be somebody I'd like to be somebody again. And it just Mm -hmm. kind of broke my heart when, uh, I heard her sing those. And we talked earlier about authenticity, but I really felt in that moment that I was hearing the authentic thoughts and feelings of someone who had been through it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think at that time in her life, she, you know, she made that deal when she married Johnny and she, like, really, it was a conscious decision on her part to change her last name, to be Mrs. Johnny Cash.
1: I was backstage and this big tall guy stops me and said, Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. She was tough she was funny. If you're married to Johnny Cash, you gotta be tough.
2: Johnny Cash was not Johnny Cash without
0: June Carter. No one saw light at the end of Cash Tunnel, except for June.
2: And that worked really well for a while. They had, their careers were both, you know, greater than the sum of the parts.
0: You're listening to June director Kristen Vario on The Richard Krause Show. Find the documentary June on Paramount Plus right now.
2: They were massive, massive stars. And I think that, you know, again, like in the 80s, she had, they had to make an another deal. And she ended up not on the road. And I do think that that kind of, I think that 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 was difficult for her. And I think she was, it was a real push and pull because she'd never not had a gig. She'd never not been on stage. And then at the end of the Highwaymen tour, the all of those guys, I think, were just physically broken down, and Johnny just couldn't tour anymore. So now, not only was she not on tour, she was and not playing. So she just, I think, it was all of this pent up creativity. She needed to be doing things and making things, and so I think it was actually an opportunity. And that album tells her story, you know, and that's a chapter of her story. And the I I want to be somebody again is in a lot of ways the story of Press On. She, you know, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> she was she she was somebody again, you know.
0: The Film does a great job of presenting the relationship between June and Johnny Cash. How did you as a filmmaker, I guess, calibrate the coverage of their marriage so that it doesn't overshadow the rest of the uh, film?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody from the beginning agreed that we this wasn't the Johnny show. This is definitely the June show. But I think that I think that to tell her story, Johnny is so key, right? It's like that there's, it's, you know, it, she's overshadowed by that story, but that story is true also. So, um, I think we were trying to be parsimonious with our use of Johnny and we wanted her music to be the music that dominated. You know, I think we used in the end, there's three Johnny songs that are, you know, not duets in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was like to illustrate that that was like the song that they all had. Everything we put in with Johnny had to had to tell part of June's story. It wasn't Johnny's story. Like Ring of Um, Fire,
0: which she co-wrote. Exactly.
2: And like, um, yeah. And then, um, uh, like, you know, she taught Elvis to tune his guitar playing Johnny's song. So Johnny's just, I mean, and I, you know, he's obviously... An amazing talent, but he it, he needs to be kind of a plot device in this story. <laughs> <laughs> Not that he should ever be reduced to that because I, I love him and he's an amazing performer and was a great man. But um yeah, this is her time.
0: I never met uh June Carter, but mm-hmm. I met Johnny one time in the the oh, really? in the strangest of circumstance almost. I was at the original. Grand Ole Opry. And I finagled a backstage pass to a tribute to Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings. And uh, whenever I used to write about music years ago, and so have lots of backstage passes, and it's a crappy way to watch a show. You don't really get to see anything. And, you know, so I sat in the audience until on the side of the stage, I could see Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings sitting on a little sofa on the side Me? of the stage with a gap just big enough for me kind of in the middle of it. So I took my, pa- <laughs> I took my pass and I went backstage and I worked my way back. I met Chet Atkins along the way, it Bumped, literally bumped into Brenda Lee boom, and kept going. And I thought, I'm just going to keep going until someone tells me, you know, you can't be here anymore. And I got back to the sofa and I said, can I sit there? And Johnny said, well, you know, sure. And I sat there and I watched half an hour of the show with them together and uh, Chris Christopherson came out and said Johnny Cash hasn't been on stage for three years or two years or whatever it was he was ailing, uh, but uh, I wonder if we can get him up. And I got to stand, you know, twenty feet away from him and Chris Christopherson as they sang "Sunday Morning Coming Down," and it oh, was man. one of those moments that I will never ever forget. Unbelievable!
2: That's just a wonderful full circle moment because you know Chris. Kristofferson had terrible stage fright at the beginning right. of his career and Johnny like literally physically pushed him on stage. So it's like to have Chris helping Johnny on stage after that is amazing.
0: You've been listening to Kristen Vario on The Richard Krauss Show. Find her documentary June, all about June Carter Cash on the Paramount Plus. It's streaming right now. In this segment, we're going to get to know Roger Mooking as a celebrity chef, restaurateur, television host, author, and award-winning recording artist, Roger has earned an international reputation as a multimedia artist and entertainer, showcasing a globally inspired vision that reflects his rich family heritage, love for people, and love for travel. He does lots of things, and he's even won a special All-Star Chop Celebrity Chef episode. Today, we talk about his career in food and music, and how he combined all of his interests in a new book, called Curious Sounds. Curious Sounds uses his most recent album, Sound Bites, as kind of a scaffold for artists' conversations on creativity, family, grief, and lots and lots more. The book is composed of essays by Francesca Ecuase reflecting on art making, storytelling, and creative expression, and Roger's multimedia visual art. There's some micro stories that he wrote, music and lyrics. This book is a collage of ideas about making meaning through life's rhythms. He'll explain it all just a little bit later on in the interview. Here's Roger Mooking who joined me via Zoom. I wanna go way back and I wanna find out about your first memory of your love of cooking. You say it's when you were making wontons in the kitchen with your father. What was it about that experience that lit up your imagination?
1: Uh, that's my kind of my first experience interacting with food that, that, that really sat with me, you know? Uh, you know, it's just one of those kind of triggers, those emotional triggers is everybody has that thing. They smell it or they see or they hear somebody's making that one dish and it takes them back exactly to that moment. I can smell the smells in the room. I can hear the sounds. I can picture the whole environment. I could feel the energy of where my dad is over the shoulder. Uh, it's just one of those kind of foundational moments, you know, that stick in your brain. So uh, I think everybody has one of those, you know.
0: Why did you tell your parents that you wanted to be a chef when you were just three years old? Because you couldn't possibly have known about all that other stuff.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny, you know, I was with my aunt actually in Trinidad at the time, and you know, like aunts and uncles, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know, asking little kids. So she asked me that, and immediately they'll blink, and I said I was going to be a chef. And now they come from their father running restaurants and bakeries, so they're like, oh boy, you got no idea what you're talking about. This business is crazy, (laughs) you know? Uh, So I didn't know. I just I for some reason, I I just grew up with kind of a a knowing persona. And I knew that that was in my cards. And I I just called it that day. You are
0: a creative person. Uh, You do all sorts of things. We're going to touch on on a few of them. Uh, But what is it about restaurants that uh, keeps you going at it?
1: You know, restaurants are just a fulcrum of a community. They're such a meeting place. Uh, I've learned more in restaurants than I have in any type of education, any boardroom, any production facility, walking around the streets talking to people. It really is a microcosm of the world. You have all income stratas moving through restaurants. You know, if you're working at a really fancy restaurant, people are spending three, four hundred bucks a head at the table. The people in the back in the kitchen aren't. Are earning enough to do that, right? Or the dishwashers, or the people prepping, and so you can experience the full range of the human experience inside of a restaurant.
0: You're listening to Roger Mooking on the Richard Kraus Show. His latest book is Curious Sounds and is available now wherever fine books are sold. And for
1: somebody who's like just so attention deficit, like me. Who needs new information all the time? Is just the perfect environment, and you get to feed people. You know, food is love, man.
0: I learned so much working in restaurants, uh, and as you say, you learn as much doing that as you ever will. Uh, you know, in a lot of other situations, simply yeah. because of the intensity of the situation. Yes. When you're dealing with people's food, uh, it is a very intense situation. You you've got to get it right, and if you don't, then you know people are unhappy, and that goes against the idea of hospitality. So it really is a learning experience every time you walk through the door
1: yeah it really really is and then on the other side of it from the business side it's like yo you mess up two steaks in a night that's the profit for the restaurant for the night kind of thing you know yeah. so the stakes are really high it's a high pressure environment there's all kind of rogue characters who work and surround themselves in restaurants and come and 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 uh are, are patrons of the restaurant so it really is. Just it's such a great testing ground for for yourself as a person and for learning. You know.
0: So let's talk about your globally inspired cuisine. From my reading, uh, it is that you it began anyway when you grew up with your Caribbean and Chinese background, and then when you were living in Alberta, you had a lot of new, new uh, Ukrainian neighbors, and your mother would sort of get recipes from them, and it sort of grew from that. Is that? about
1: right yeah like i said like a three years old man i called it you know so uh, <laughs> the, the path that you see in walking i'm walking right now it just it just i just followed the path you know mm-hmm. it, i didn't choose or maybe i did choose to be in in this family i didn't choose definitely i didn't choose to move to edmonton alberta from trinidad <laughs> <laughs> uh and then when i came to toronto to follow music and entertainment and stuff like there's just so many things along the pathway that just kind of led to this kind of approach to cooking. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing that really I stick with a lot that re- that reminds me is, you know, I was training with these French, Swiss German and French chefs, and they would say, do the stock this way. It's a very specific way you do the stock. Then I was working with this Chinese and Japanese chef. And you say no, for this stock, we want to roll the stock. It's which is the complete opposite of what I learned from the French chefs. And they're both masters, you know, 30 years in the game they're doing this forever. And I, that moment I realized like, oh, every rule that is hard and fast and true is not hard. It's not fast. And it's not true because <laughs> I got two different masters telling me completely opposing things. And that's what I love about food is that I'll never learn everything in one lifetime about it.
0: I have a feeling that not following the rules entirely probably uh, bleeds over into the music that you do as well, because (laughs) the music industry is uh, another business that is ruled by the old axiom, I think, where people say, you know, in the television business, which is mostly my business, and in the music business, which is yours, nobody knows anything. (laughs) And you always have to be trying new stuff and breaking the rules to get ahead.
1: Well, you know, I think the more and more I live, the more I think every industry is like that. You know, I talk Mm -hmm. to people in accounting and finance and the stock market, or I might talk to somebody who's like washed dishes for years. And, you know, there's always a new way to do an old thing. Mm -hmm. And and nobody really knows. I mean, if everybody knew everything about the stock market, everybody would be a billionaire, right? If all the professionals in the (laughs) stock market knew knew the game, there would be trillionaires in this, right? So clearly they don't know. They're just trying different things. And so I just embrace that with all things and just dive headlong, you know?
0: And as a creative person, someone who makes things that weren't there the day before, whether it's food or music or writing or whatever it might be, you say that the creative process is the same regardless of the craft. So regardless of whether it's cooking or it's uh, making music, the creative process is the same. How so?
1: Well, I mean, of course, the tools change, the the medium changes, you know, if I'm working with acrylics and paint, it's paint brushes. if I'm working in the kitchen, it's pots and pans and ingredients, if I'm working in the studio, it's instruments and voices. So those are all things. But at the end of the day, uh, as long as we're still standing on human art, uh, it's coming from an idea. A spark sometimes you don't know where this spark is coming from you know how many songs I've written in my life that have come out that I heard as a in a dream and then I realized, oh, this is not actually a song. I gotta write this down. <laughs> right. And then, so it's just taking that and then taking your, you know, initiative and incentive and pouring your spirit into honing that idea to be as true to it as possible, or letting it evolve to become what it is meant to be. And you're just there for the ride and you're sort of a conduit to it. So no matter what what your craft is, whatever your skill set is, uh in the arts, is uh, especially. Uh, we're just all learning and playing and experimenting and diving into the thing and the, the medium and the tools change. But the process is very, very similar. You know,
0: how has uh, traveling around the world for the uh, various television shows that you're involved in influenced the music that you make?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm a sort of like a, a musical nomad as much as I am a culinary nomad in that sense. You know, I came to to making music through hip-hop and f- from hip-hop at that time I was sampling a lot. And right. so because I was sampling, I was looking for records. Like we would stop on tour dates with bare-naked ladies, whatever, and hit the record store, you know, and we'd spend all day in the record store looking for break beats. And through that, I learned about Rock music. I learned about Sesame Street music, some crazy music in Sesame <laughs> Street in those seventies. <laughs> Spider Man soundtracks this is yep. amazing music, right? Um, children's tutorial albums, Nana Muscouri, like it, just so many records of so many different genres that I was just enamored by because it was the feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of picking up on that and uh, and running with it.
0: All of this comes together in a more recent project. This is called Curious Sounds. And uh, it's a book by Francesca uh, Ekuasi. She was inspired by uh, some of your music.
1: So tell me a little bit about this project and exactly what it is. Yeah, so the birth of this just came about really earnestly. It started with, you know, like 19, I just saw the other day I had a a voice memo in my phone from 19, 19, 2019, sorry, Right. right? And it said sound bites, no song longer than one minute and 30 seconds. And so I was kind of sitting on that for a while, apparently. Uh, But then I I stumbled upon this article where it said like the average attention span of the human now is less than that of a goldfish at 8.25 seconds. And so I was like playing with that in my brain and like, you know, now it must be like three seconds because that was a few years ago, right? Um, I was kind of really tossing. I was like, wow, what a condition. Like I'm always thinking about the human condition, right? Mm. What a condition we've brought ourselves to that our attention span is so low. So I became really obsessed with that along with my sort of malleable relationship with time to begin with. So I took that whole thing and then I built this album called Sound Bites where no song is longer than one minute and 30 seconds, the shortest song is eight seconds and it takes you through this journey of life, right? And unbeknownst, and and it was such a crazy concept in listening to this thing because it really takes you from conception to the end of life if you listen to the whole 19 minute journey, right? So then I was like, this thing needs some greater context. And unbeknownst to anybody outside of my family, I've been like painting and acrylics on canvas and stuff for like the last decade or so, a little bit over a decade. And I promised I would never release anything to the world because I have a really bad habit of taking all of my hobbies and turning them into a way to make money. (laughs) So I was like, this one, I'm going to keep sacred, right? right?" And then the Soundbites album was done. I'm like, but this needs a greater context. And so I started Putting together uh, visual work, some of this stuff, and it just it, again, I just followed the path, and it just felt right. And I started putting together visuals that went with the songs, and then I I, I was like, this still needs a little more context to it because i love i wanted to celebrate chaos in this Mm -hmm. moment you're
0: listening to roger Mooking on the richard krauss show his new book curious sounds is available now wherever you buy fine books
1: so i wrote these hundred word micro stories where you know no story is longer than 100 words and they're very parab parabolic i guess parable like i guess would be a better word so they're very parable-like and, um, and I'm obsessed with those kind of stories. You know, a story that you read on a Tuesday and it means one thing to you on Friday. It means something completely different to you and you see a perspective that you had no perspective on on Tuesday. So I love those types of stories. I'm always going back to them. So I wanted to kind of, Endeavor to try and do something like that. So I put together this whole package and it's like, okay, how do we make sense of this? So I called my friend Francesca and I said, friend, you promised me that if I ever wrote stories or did a book that you would be my editor. That was the deal we made of after Canon Reads, right? <laughs> So I was like, well, here's the moment, here it is and she's like, oh, I'm all in, I'm jumped in. So she jumped in and she started to do all the stuff around contextualizing all the music, all the visual work, all the micro stories, uh, how our lives came together, how our lives came together in creativity, what brought us here, uh, you know, the foibles and trials and tribulations of it all to bring us to this place and how meaningful art is in that landscape, you know.
0: It's a book that delves into uh, different things all the way through this book. You're you're making um, larger points uh, that are, I think, really interesting. But you do it in such a concise and interesting way that I think it makes Curious Sounds something really unique.
1: Yeah, thank you, man. It really is a celebration of chaos. You know, so it's it's kind of the antithesis and the celebration of our short attention span, right. right? So it's bringing short stories down. But if you sit and read through those stories, one of those stories you could sit and think about for a month. <laughs> so we're expanding that 100 words into a month right. now. Right. We're taking the music and the and the visuals and contextualizing them in a way that's very chaotic and sort of disparate, but they're all connecting themes if you want to follow that thread. And once you follow that thread, you realize this thing that's this very chaotic package actually has the breadth of an encyclopedia behind it <laughs> right and the thought of of that that type of inquisitiveness and the, the 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 curiosity for new information and learning and and trying to understand the human condition i think that's what every person is trying to do
0: i was uh doing some research for this and i came to realize that the uh first time and probably the last time that i interviewed you was almost 30 years ago. Wow. Uh, it, yeah. You blowing
1: me up now, Richard. You blowing it, me
0: up. <laughs> it was bases base. So I wonder now as we sit here almost 30 years later, what would he have thought about where your life ended up?
1: I think in some ways he would be it would be unbelievable. You know, I always had the dream of doing restaurants. And at that time I was not in the restaurant game at all. I was just yeah. deep in the music thing. I never kind of envisioned returning to restaurants. And then that whole thing happened. And then the TV stuff around, the food and beverage stuff happened. And I never stopped doing the music. I never thought that, you know, I would add the layer of being an author in this way of writing mm-hmm. stories or presenting visual art. That was never part of my understanding, but I come from a very creative family my uncle's a photographer, my aunt's filmmaker, my, uh, my grandmother's an amazing, was an amazing seamstress. And my, my sister is a visual artist, a painter. Mm -hmm. So I'm surrounded with all these people in the arts. So I'm not surprised that I found yet another medium in the arts to kind of deliver through or to like channel channel to be channeled through me sort of thing. But I never imagined like, like this, you know, i (laughs) you <laughs> can't. You can't imagine. You just got to walk the path, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Roger, thank you so much. What a pleasure to speak to you.
1: Thank you so much, man. Richard, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you. Hopefully, in the next thirty years. We yeah, we'll do it again else. when uh, in
0: thirty <laughs> years, and we'll get
1: caught up. <laughs> I'm like the black Margaret Atwood out here.
0: (laughs) That was Roger Mooking. Check out his book, Curious Sounds, wherever fine books are sold. Big thanks to Roger. A big thanks to Kristen Vario. Find her documentary about June Carter Cash. It's called June on Paramount+. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon.